0: Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start, if you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks.
1: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online
0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat podcast. This week, I'm with Paul Cockle. Hello, hello, welcome. I say welcome, welcome to the podcast. But I'm actually in your space. Can you tell me a little bit about
3: sort of who you are and what you do? Uh, so I'm the owner and the founder of Rensport, um, and we basically build lovely 911s. I like to think mm. here. Yeah, yeah, we've just we've just been
0: out for a drive in in one of your cars. Um I had a drive. That was it was a lot of fun. We'll we'll get to into the cars in a little bit. So this Rensport, Sport, the founder, how did this sort of come about? What were you doing before how did it come about?
3: I when I left school when I was sixteen, I went straight into doing an apprenticeship at the Porsche main dealer, which was our local one in Warwick. All right, yeah. Um and then that sort of that was the beginning of my love affair with nine elevens I think, so it was when the impact bumper cars were new, so it was in the mid to late nineteen eighties nice uh, so I know them inside out now and did you choose Porsche as a brand
0: to go and, to want to work for at that point in time, or were they sort of nearby?
3: I think I did in a way because there was uh when i when I left school, I went on to do um three interviews uh one was at uh, t w r which was the jaguar yeah. at the time in Coventry um one was at um monarch cars which was the Porsche dealership uh and one was at uh i think it was like another jaguar specialist but Porsche was the one that wanted to do yeah yeah, just, yeah. yeah yeah
0: so you worked at the dealership for a while i presume dealerships back then have probably changed quite a bit to the the model now where it 's like open a book and just follow the instructions
3: plug the computer in these <laughs> plug the days computer yeah. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 no so it, it, i'm back in the sort of 80s when these when these cars were new it was more um you had to know how to rebuild a car and you had to know how to fix a problem without sort of reading it from a book so it mm. was like a lot of knowledge so there was a lot of college and work that we did at college with all the qualifications yeah. and stuff and that's it's sort of old school mechanics which is lost now. You no, know, there's there's not that many people that do it. You know, especially on modern cars, dealers- yeah. dealerships. They don't, there's some good guys in dealers, dealerships these days, but most of it is the, the computer says, change the engine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. It's just not running quite correctly. Yeah, Rip it
3: out, put a new one in. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it is. But in the old days, a car would come in with a misfire and then you'd find out, you know, there's a burnt out valve in it and you'd have to strip it down and change the valve and that would be the sort of part of what you do. You have to know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you get a really good grounding in like the whole car at that
0: point in time, or were you kind of, they sort of put you towards a certain element?
3: I think when I did my apprenticeship, I sort of would, I did do, they ran it quite well where we were. And it was a good, it was a small dealership, um, but they did sort of run it well. The guys that I was working under the, the senior technicians were very good at doing what they're doing. They're old school Porsche Mm. mechanics. And they did sort of let me have a go at doing everything, I possibly could although you know being 17 and 18 year old <laughs> yeah. you did also have to do the hunting for the water leaks while they squirted yeah. it with a hose pipe and all the rest of it so uh but no there was there was a big sort of did a bit of everything you know so i'd be there when they were building an engine taking the gearbox out yeah. and rebuilding that as well as doing electrics and all the stuff that sort of makes you learn how it should all work I've always,
0: when I come across it now, because it's so different from taking a modern car to a modern dealership. You take an older car, like my 911 or whatever, in and you're like, can you diagnose what's going on or just have a look at it? And someone will take, have a little poke around the car, take the car for like a five, 10 minute little sort of shakedown, come back and then just write out like a, <laughs> three pages of like specific things that need fixing. And I, I look at it and go, You've worked that all out in like 15 minutes. That is incredibly impressive.
3: No, we, you know, we we never, it never really used to happen like that. It would just, (laughs) it would come in for a fault. And then you you do learn, if you do learn the old school way of diagnosing a fault and knowing what's wrong with it just by listening to it. Yeah. Um, Or you do get that old fashioned thing of when the car does come in, the fault's gone away. Yeah. That happens quite a lot that's, you know? the, that's that yeah. still happens today yeah it does yeah <laughs> so
0: you' you're working at this dealership, and then what where did you
3: go from there uh so I worked at the, the, the main dealer and then I got the guy that I was actually working under who was the senior technician went and worked for Eurotech, which was a race team on old nine elevens at the time they were based in Warwick um and I basically followed on to hit, followed on with him. And then I went to work there for several years. Um, See more of the same. It was more race cars, so it was it was two point seven RSs was the main car um, when they weren't worth an awful lot of money. Yeah, Uh, so they were used as race cars, Uh, and and I really enjoyed it. And and were you so at that point were you providing like track support and all that sort
0: of stuff, or were you just working on the cars? And then
3: no, uh, so no, I was. We were doing pit crew work and track support and test days and so I was in the workshop and out it was good fun.
0: Is there any like I always hear something happens inevitably? I look at the mechanics that are working on a on a track, whether it's a race event or whatever, and the amount of stuff that seems to have to be done in no time, and just gets just the ability to just diagnose a problem, change a gearbox, whatever, in like no time. Presumably that takes a bit longer on a 911, but were there lots and lots of that sort of action?
3: There wasn't massive amounts of it. I suppose the the worst thing would be, because we were looking after customers' cars, it would be they would crash in qualifying yeah. and you'd have to tape, <laughs> tape the car back up together so they could actually do the race, which is what they were there for. You know, that would happen quite often, but that, that's about it really. Yeah, that's it. getting stuff back into shape and just
0: out the door, on the way. So you then worked there, and then what point in time did you start... The concept of Sport
3: and it was it, it was sort of later on, later on in life, really. Uh, so Eurotech moved into Birmingham, and I followed them into Birmingham for a while, but then that was just too far to travel, and yeah. uh, and then you change as you get a little bit older, um, and then Rensport sort of was conceived really from my love affair of having a 911 myself, yeah, uh, which I. I Bought one back in to sort of get back into nine elevens because I went off the rails onto escort Cosworths and things like that. There's um, one sitting over there. Yeah,
0: is that reliving the dream?
3: Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> reliving the nightmare. I think it's <laughs> a bit more like it. Has it
0: been a, a pain?
3: Everything breaks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's eventful. Not not as eventful as a Delorean, but it's eventful. Um, no, so. RenSport sort of evolved um, just after early two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven, which was building my own car. Yeah, and then I sold it, and then did another one and sold it, and then eventually we've ended up here. Well, yeah, and this is this is a pretty, I'm going to say, pretty
0: sweet looking place. How many iterations were there before you got to here? Because
3: this, this is a big setup. Well, I went through. I went through life in my sort of 30s and 40s and made money out of property. You, okay. don't, you don't make money out of this game. <laughs> so I made my, made my money out of property. And then uh, with the help of my dad, uh, who's a, a designer and a property developer, uh, we bought this plot of land and then built the building around 911s. Nice. So you're not going to get a Range Rover on the ramp, but you can get two 911s in there easy enough.
0: And how did you set out so at the time you'd picked G series cars or something that you liked what were you, did you were you working on it then
3: we so we've done G series are probably the easiest ones to use and we've sort of it's evolved into our sort of basic um our basic sort of term of what we do now um, which is producing a a pre-73 car because that's what everybody wants they want the old style with that they don't want the impact bumpers there's a few people out there that like impact bumpers but it's not us seems to be growing it is because people want that classic old 911 but they don't want the classic old problems of the the tin one that comes with them because they all seem to go rotten the old ones um and they want some power and they want brakes and they want air conditioning and they want electronic suspension and they want all the goodies with it but they want the the class that's what yeah. they want yeah well they're cool aren't they they're just really cool yeah well the beauty of this is is this is the one job that i can actually get to do what i want to do and i enjoy doing it which is important do you find
0: you're doing you have to spend an annoying amount of time doing stuff that you don't like, is there one part of the whole process that you're like, I just wish there was some way I, had to spe- I could spend no time doing that? Talking to people on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: was trying, I was trying not to say that. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I do enjoy every part of it, you know, from, in, from meeting the customers for the first time to going through all the specs that they want to do and tailor-making tailor a car to fit them, which is what we've become good at. You know, we'll sit down with a customer before they have, they might have in their mind what they want to build and I'll I'll sit down with them and I'll go through, you know, it's like sitting down on a podcast, but you're not recording it. We'll go through what they want to use the car for and, you know, what's their ultimate thing that they want at the end of it. And, and then we sort of build the car around that. So every car is different. We don't produce a car and then say, right, what colour seats do you want and what colour do you want on the outside? We start off with what you want to use it for, whether it be track use or a nice daily driver or European touring or a a mixture of everything, you know, and we sort of combine it because we want to build a car that people really want. And, you know, that's what makes it fun because you have somebody with a big smile on the face at the end of it and they come back each year for a service and they're, they're using it not just sort of oh i don't use it because it's too bouncy or you know, <laughs> you know you know that's that's where the, that's where it all comes into and because you see
0: you see some people nowadays making like a product they're like they've picked it and gone we make the whatever they've called it and then you can change your seat color or tweak a little thing or whatever and if you specifically chosen to not go down that route or You like that? You just like the
3: whole bespoke factor. It does very often. It it can quite often go down that route because people will come in and see a car that's already been built, and then say, "I like that color, and I like that style, and I like those seats," (laughs) and and you end up. You know, we went through a a spate of building ten cars all exactly the same, but no, we will build. uh, It's tailor made. Which, which is where our sort of niche market is. Yeah, You know, it's not it's not a product that we we make. We make the product for the customer, you know, and every car is different, um, and that's where we are. It's really interesting looking, because we're sitting, if you're
0: watching the video, you'll be able to see a little bit in the background, possibly some cars. Um, and when I can look down, and actually there seems to be a slight theme at the moment, if I look, poke around a little bit, there's a little bit of green, and there's a lot of orange, actually, and... Um, is is that what's happened? Has someone come in and gone, oh, I quite like that green car. Can you have uh, me a green car? That's
3: exactly what happens. <laughs> so we, we um, I think it was probably about eight years ago, we built a slate grey 911, uh, which was a replica of the Steve McQueen car from the film Le Mans. Yeah. And then 10 slate grey cars later, <laughs> somebody actually chose an orange one. So quite often, you know, people do people do choose the colours from cars that are in here um, and it does tend to sort of roll like that. You know, we will go through a state that if you came three months ago, there was five gulf blue cars down there. Right, yeah. You know, so it's... It's funny because I, I find the concept, when someone says,
0: like you're saying, you can you can have anything. You know, you can have whatever colour you like. Well, that's a really difficult decision. That's, that's really hard. Like, my SC is Signal Yellow um, and I wouldn't before I saw the car in person, I wouldn't have wanted a signal yellow car. I was kind of like, I wasn't really into yellow. And then I saw the car and I was like, oh no, that looks awesome. So there is an element of, you don't necessarily know until you've seen possibly something similar, maybe Instagram is probably really helpful these days, of like giving you an idea. Have you had any unusual things that people have said, I want the color. you to do the color of this this object, this building, a house or like that.
3: There's always one, isn't there? <laughs> we, we did, we did a car, um, 10 years ago now, uh, for a guy from Holland. There's a really nice guy called Rob and we had to match the color. It was purple, but we had to match it to his late wife's wedding dress. And that, was, right. and that was probably the most unusual thing I've ever been asked for in a color, you know? And and we did the color match and, it was a bit strange, but it looked fabulous when the car yeah, was yeah, done. Yeah. You know, it's a one-off colour. It was quite a bright purple, but it, it did look really cool.
0: And then if someone's done that and it's significant to them, when the next person comes in and goes, I mean, that colour looks really good. Can we have that colour? Do you go, hmm, it'd be good if you didn't? <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, well, we've done, uh, we've probably done a one-off colour three or four times, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: because I guess nowadays with everyone sharing everything on the internet, I don't know. I I think I see a nice color, and I'm like, it's nice. Whatever. If there's three of them, I don't care. It's it's my car. I'm enjoying it. I'm not so bothered about it being unique as such. But do you get little things? You must you must do little things done to all the cars just for that owner. That's like I want a secret storage compartment or things like that.
3: Yeah. I think everything on them is the yeah. little thing, you know, because every car is, you know, they'll all have slightly different dashes or they'll all have slightly different stereos or they'll yeah. all have slightly different um, engine configurations. So, you know, there are lots of little things yeah, that are unique to each car. Mm. You know, we they're never exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's different. Yeah. But, but there's no hidden storage components.
0: <laughs> <under> there, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um. So if, okay, talk me through it. So if, if I came to you now and I come here and I say, I want a car, because I, I believe you had a customer this morning that wanted a car, but they weren't sure what they wanted.
3: How how, how does that conversation go? Um, well, we're basically, they obviously, they're obviously they obviously here because they want a 911. So we know it's going to be a 911 to start or with. Escort. Yeah. Or, no, not an escort. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting into those. So we know they want a 911 to start with. We then sort of sit down. If they haven't got a complete idea in what they want, you know, and they've seen a picture of a car and say, I want one like this, that's when we sit down and say, Right, what are you going to use it for? You know, are you going to use it to go to the pub on a Sunday and nothing else? Are you going to go and tour around Italy in it? Uh, Are you going to go and do track days in it? What, What do you want it for? So that's when we sit down and that's when we also have to delve into. What cars have you had before as well? Because that's quite an important one. You know, if if you're speaking to somebody who's only had new cars and they've never driven yeah. a classic car, then maybe a G-Series old 911 is not the one to stick them in. Maybe we need to stick them in a 964 that's got power steering and all the, all the wet stuff that later cars have. <laughs> <laughs> ABS. <laughs> this- so let's
0: let's let's run this process slightly because i'm always interested in like you know what 911 would i choose and in my head i have an idea but like if i was coming to you let's say i'm coming to you and i'm saying i want a car let's let's run the let's run through a few
3: so what are you what, okay so you've got an unlimited budget let's just say well, it's unlimited that's, that's good to know why not <clears throat> so you've got unlimited
0: money. time as well yeah
3: yeah so i'm going to see you a lot then am I? <laughs> yeah
0: no as in you can have the car for actually how long does it take generally
3: to do a build 12 months 12 months start to finish and that is from it depending on what time of year but that's from the build slot that we allocate so the guy that's been in this morning his build slots allocated august so we'll be looking at a completion date august next year um it's never sooner and sometimes a little bit later but not really you know we we run a sort of production line on what we do yeah on the basic stuff so we you know everything's all done in house. so we're in control of it all nice. uh, which makes the big thing we're not screaming and waiting for somebody to provide a gearbox or something like that it's we know we've got to build it we know which one's going to get done yeah because we talked a little bit about that when we were driving earlier about
0: how some cars we were talking about look at various cars in this space and the price is just going like up and up and up and up and up and, up. and you, you look at it and go like, I don't know how how you get here um, but you are saying one of the that's one of the brilliant things about doing like you do your own engines and stuff you're not sending an engine to someone else who's then got to make a profit just on the engine and then it's coming back to you and you've got to make a bit of profit so then you're just whacking a chunk on every element of the car that goes out You've got to put a chunk on it.
3: Well, yeah, you soon get sort of carried away, and you know the price ends up being four and five hundred thousand when the car should only be two or three hundred thousand. Because you send the engine away, and the guy that's building the engine is making twenty five thousand out yeah. of it, and then you've got somebody else that's building the gearbox that's making six or seven thousand out of it, and or someone that's making a sub assembly suspension kit for it, which is making ten or fifteen thousand out of it. It's all it's all done here. The, the benefit of that is also we can keep a 100% eye on quality and control and we can fix it when it goes wrong because we know exactly how it all works because yeah. we built it you know we know, we know it's going to be reliable we know that's that's the way it is have, have, how has the i presume your your sort of like processes and,
0: and even the technologies used in the cars has changed massively since you started to now What have been some of the sort of big developments or changes
3: in the way they've all been done? Um, Well, we've got rid of the adjustable spanner and bought proper spanners now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think probably the the main technology difference that we've got now is the injection systems on the engines. You know, we actually have to plug them into a laptop and work out all the parameters and get them set up that way uh whereas the old the old school 911s you didn't have to plug in the ecu and away you went but you know now we have to sort of change settings on things electrically um but everything else is still fairly basic to be fair you know it's it's all pretty simple stuff um yes everything's all better quality um and higher performance but it's still the same basis at the end of the day so, I'm, yeah. you know, the, the guys that I've got here, are they're all superb and they know exactly what they're doing and they know how to put things together and fix them and make sure it's right. Yeah. Not leave a spanner in somewhere, no. Running around. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. So, let's, okay, let's continue
0: with this. If, if Right. I want a car. I think I want a narrow body car. I, I like the idea of less grip, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, do I in reality? I don't know, but I think so. Um, and more fun at lower speed. Like I don't need, it, it it's not going to be a track car. And if it is a track car, it's going to be going around a corner, like slightly sideways at a lower speed. That's fine. Um, no idea what engine, no idea what gearbox,
3: how, where, where do we go from there? I can't find another customer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we would, I mean, visually you'd probably in my head uh, I would sort of show you a couple of pictures of an early narrow-bodied 911 and, you know, would sort of come to the conclusion that you're after something that looks like a, a late 1960s, early 1970 narrow-bodied 911 with 15-inch skinny wheels on it, because that sounds like what you're yeah. after, a classic, classic-looking thing. That fixes the problem of the less grip. Yeah. Um, and then it would all be down to, obviously, you've got an unlimited budget, so we'll just put as most powerful engine in it that we could. <laughs> you you wouldn't need to put, we wouldn't sell you a, a four-liter 964 engine conversion because you're not going to need it because you've only got six-inch tires sk- yeah. tires on the back of it. So, you know, we would probably say, right, well, let's, let's work on the basis of a, a three-liter SC or a 3.2 Carrera conversion uh, and build it up from that. And what can you do in, in terms
0: of engine? So the the car, where you, what, what can you go from to in terms of engine specs and, I guess, characters as well?
3: It's sort of unlimited what we can do on an engine. Um, so the donor car tends to be a big sort of majority of where we're going to start with. So if we start with a 3.2 Carrera, which we do a lot of, um, because they're just a very well-evolved 911, um, we, that's, we will start with a 3.2 engine. You know, so we've got the crank cases. Yeah. And then just depending on the budget and the spec and what it's going to be used for, if somebody's got a limited budget, you haven't, so I'm not going to sell you the standard injection yeah. system and keep it at 3.2. So we, we know that we don't need to go over the top with the power. You know, so we would probably suggest a 3.4 conversion, which is still fairly economical in price-wise. You know, it's not a ridiculous amount of money to go into it. There's no uh unnecessary extra machining work that needs doing it's a lot of bolt-on parts when you strip the engine down. Um and then if you want fun, we would go on throttle bodies because then you've got the noise of the induction yeah, noise yeah. and so on. And then you've got the program, programmable side of it, so you can set it up right. Um and we can set it up so it works well for what the car is. You know, we can set the right torque curve on it and the right power uh, figure. Yeah. It's not always worth going for the maximum power figure on an engine. You know, we'll often wind, it sounds a bit crazy, but you can wind 25 horsepower off it and it's a faster road car. Yeah, you've got, I guess you get much more possibly torque mid range yeah. punch. Yeah.
0: Like that car, the blue car, I'm just going to keep calling it the blue car. Um, what, what do you call that?
3: That's our RS, What well, as a car. Yeah. That's our RS 2.7 anniversary car. So it's, it's the 50 years of the 2.7 this year, 73. And that's got a 3.4? It's just over 3.4, um, and that is running 325 horsepower. Yeah. We could run more, but it makes it completely undrivable, <laughs> And it's just that top trumps sort of thing. You know, I've got 328 horsepower. It's it's not all about that. Well, that in itself
0: is an interesting one where you see, like, you know, I come here and you can say, you you could have a 3.2 or 3 litre, whatever it works out, all the way up to 4 litres. And you see with a lot of people coming in and speccing the cars, I, I imagine as the money gets up, goes up and up and up, people are more likely to just tick the box because they're like well why would I not have the 4 litre engine like why would I not so I might just have that whereas actually as you said it's, like, it's much more nuanced than that isn't it it's like if you're gonna genuinely use the car you don't want something well depending on what you're gonna use it for but normal-ish touring whatever you don't want something that's on the ragged edge and like snarly
3: you probably don't you might do I would <laughs> no, you don't. You, you, we, won't, we won't sell people things that they don't need. Um, you can quite easily say, yes, you need a four-litre engine. It's going to cost you £100,000 for the engine, when a 3.4-litre engine based on a 3.2 2 crankcases will suffice good enough for the yeah. weight and the style of the car. And you basically couldn't drive it any quicker than, than what we're going to put in it yeah you know you were just i'm i'm not in the game for just spending people's money for the sake of it thinking how ah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've managed to get a five hundred pound car out of them <laughs> and it's just that's not what we're, what we're in it for we're in it just to sort of you know you still need a good uh a good spec for your quality you know it's yeah that's what you need yeah and the cars are light yeah they're be the, light anyway. the g series cars that we run we run plenty of soundproofing on them because we build them as road cars and sort of a, 1050 kilos 1100 on the some of the ones that we go right over the top on, yeah
0: and that that with 300 and a bit horsepower like driving this car earlier that's plenty fast enough. it's properly fast well you work out the
3: power to weight ratio don't you yeah yeah
0: and you compare it to modern like a modern car that might be 1450 kilos and there's definitely i'm sure there is a tipping point but like brake, brake horsepower per tonne as a figure doesn't tell you anything without the weight of the car. Because like my estate it's probably got a pretty punchy brake horsepower per tonne figure. It might, it's probably actually quite similar, maybe less than that blue car. But to drive, one weighs 1,800 kilos and feels like a boat. Whereas if one weighs 1,000 kilos or 1,100 kilos, you get that kind of, you're driving something light and you get an and enjoyable, enjoying the, a good experience. It
3: it is all about the enjoyment of it, isn't it? And it, you do, you know. I've had, uh, I had an R thirty five Nissan. You know the GTR yeah, yeah, yeah. with eight hundred nice. and twenty horsepower, and I don't know what they weigh up like seventeen. Or they're yeah. a heavy old beast, and it was phenomenally quick. Um, but I don't. I get more fun driving my old nine eleven out of it. And it, the old 911 feels quicker and it actually feels safer because you know you're not doing 190 mile an hour. And yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you get you know. that. I find if you're driving something that's like big and heavy but fast, you almost
0: get a disconnect because you, you look at the speed and you know you're going fast. It doesn't really feel that fast. And you also know that you can't really stop that quickly. And like it's, it's a sort of disconnect almost of like where where reality is. Have you been through a... Sort of with your own like personal cars and what you enjoy driving. Have you been through like a, a cycle of going I want something really fast and then like actually I want something older and then have you been through a bit of a journey like that?
3: I still go through that
2: journey
0: all <laughs> the time
3: so I think so if you work out last year I've, I went from um a GTR with 800 odd horsepower to a Defender double cab. Nice. Nice. And then I went from, uh, and then I had a Delorean amongst it all as well. Oh wow! Uh, they're pretty underpowered for what they are, to be fair. I, I, I don't hear good things about them. It was cool. It's the coolest car in the world. It, yes. You know, you go everywhere, everybody's like, that is a cool car, that like, is so cool. <laughs> you know, you, you go to Costa and you open up the Goldwing doors and yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. I feel the coolest person, but when you actually put your foot down, it's the crappiest car in the world. <laughs> it's like, this, this ain't going to do 88 mile an hour, that's for sure. Um, but no, so I, I do go through those cycles. You know, I've I've had a 911 Turbo and then sort of, but the, the most fun cars... Are the ones that we do. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of our own product. Yeah, that's you know, good. That's that's what it's at. The only problem that I have is I normally build a car for myself, someone comes along and buys it and then I've got to, <laughs> got to do it I, again. I, I've got to try and talk everybody into doing overtime to sort of squeeze it in between all the customers' car and it's a year later and then it
2: all happens <laughs> again. <laughs> you
3: have gotta do it
0: in a colour that although it's still not a very good business sense, but do it in a colour that no one wants. But then people <laughs> will want that colour and you're stuffed. If if you were building a car for you, starting fresh, what would you what route would you go? Uh,
3: well, that's a fairly easy thing to say because I've just just about finished building the car, the the next demonstrator car, which is a, an ST with the same spec engine in as my blue RS car. Right. So it's a it's a three point four high compression engine on throttle bodies. It's like very exquisite trim in it. Mm. Um, everything's over the top we've got a good stereo system in it which we haven't really done before you know we've got a subwoofer under the seat and stuff like that i'm I'm all for a sound system in a car um you know we've got so we have basically done that so it's in irish green it's got saddle brown leather you know it's a great car and then is that in here somewhere it's well it's just outside waiting to go on the ramp to have his engine fitted but that is one of those things that unfortunately someone's bought it before I finished oh, it. So. I thought it might it looked a bit higher. I was like, "Are you doing a Dakar version?" <laughs> yeah, no, just just it's ready to ready to fit the engine in it. Yeah, so I've got, I've now got a sort of my biggest dilemma when I'm building the is What colour am I going to do next? Yeah, because I know what my favourite car is. It's the ST that we do, which yeah. was the same as the the car 100 which we did, which went to Japan um that, that is my favorite style of car because they're just right they're very popular build mm. but it's, it's what colours next do you because I, I i have like a favorite color
0: but as time goes on and i start to have owned too probably too many cars in that color i realized that i need to own other colors and then like you're like oh what's the next i'm good you can't you can't just keep like for me like a mid-blue Porsche Aqua Blue is the color I like. With like a tan, if if that was like if I could spec that, I'd have that all day long. But now I look around and I've got. There is part of me that needs to have a green car at some point. But I almost think green is like I'm too late for the green. I've got to be. I've got to go past it.
3: Greens this year. That's definite. Uh, I I went through the same like when I was younger. Everything was orange. Yeah, I had I had an orange Lotus, Sunbeam. I had an orange Fiesta. I had an nice. orange RS Turbo. I had an orange Escort Cosworth. Uh, every, everything was orange, but I think you, you do get a bit sort of tired of it, and start. I have had a c- couple of orange Nine Elevens, and they do look cool, but I think you can overdo it a little bit, and then and it's
0: nice to have something different every now and then. Yeah, and actually. Well then because you're building the car that you're like I really want that car and then you sell it to someone cuz it's great you get to you get to explore the different options
3: Yeah you do it, it's I get to My cars normally sell because I put everything on it that's needed or not needed. (laughs) Yeah. And generally the people that buy them know that that's what they're getting and they they will sort of offer me more money than what a new build is because they know it's got... It's ready to go. It's got lots of development stuff in it, which is, you know, because we are always developing stuff Mm. on the injection systems and on suspension. We're always tweaking it and making things a little bit better. And, you know, they know that mine's going to have all the latest (laughs) and best stuff (laughs) on it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so okay let's talk through some of the stuff that goes into the car suspension what are the sort of suspension options and commonly fit things
3: so i mean generally if we start off as a starting off as a base car running on a g series 911 as a a donor car um, so the the basic option if we're starting at the bottom of the budget if someone's got uh, 150 grand save. It was like right. It's going to be basic stuff. Is that plus <clears throat> the donor, including the donor generally? Yeah. yeah. Um. So you we would run Bilstein Sport dampers, which is pretty much what they used to run on the three two Carreras. I but think that's the sort of thing I've got. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it works well. Um. But so sort of over the last few years, we've sort of developed and gone more into the tractive semi-active suspension system, um, which is a bit of technical wizardry really um (laughs) uh, and it's sort of you know it's it's a complete modernization on the on the way the cars drive and run so i would say probably 90 percent of the cars that we build now people will have that yeah um you know because they've got the the adjustability of having an all-rounder from sort of Driving around on a Sunday afternoon to the pub and so on to go and doing a track day to doing touring—it's just yeah. on the on the set of a button and that's the way it goes. Do you <clears> find <throat> yourself playing with that endlessly. I did when we first fitted the first one; it was continually. Um, but now, no, I, I, know, <laughs> I know what it's set on. I know what the, to set, put the settings to, and I memorise it on number two, and then that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Country road. City probably don't even know that. And then like track, job done.
3: Generally I'll only adjust it if I'm showing somebody what it can do. Okay. Yeah. So I'll have number there's five presets that you can already preset, although we run the we run the screen so you can fully adjust, make it fully adjustable. Um but I'll set number one on full soft of everything and number five on full hard of everything. Yeah. And that shows you the massive parameter. Um and then I'll just have one setting. The novelty's worn off a little bit yeah. for me, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but it works. Does it? Because um, I know it has tons of sensors,
0: like G force, speed, all that sort of stuff. Um,
3: does it know how fast you're going? No, it generally just runs on a, a uh, on a G sensor, so it just okay. runs on the G force sensor, which is in the middle of the car, and then that works it all out for for itself. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. For you, it works it out for itself what to do. So, can you have? softer settings at
0: lower speeds and stiffer at higher speeds within one button yes so what if you've got it on one setting it's on one setting that you've not changed can it run softer at like let's say sub 20 miles an hour
3: not really no. not sure no. yeah, 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 yeah to a certain extent I think that is but not a massive no that would be like i think that's quite complicated that would be like fully active yeah whereas this is more semi-active yeah, yeah, you know, yeah it still yeah. needs a bit of input from you
1: everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well BetterHelp can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule it's surprisingly affordable too
2: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: Yeah, on the cars I've driven, and we didn't play with the one today, um, I've always been super impressed with the difference. The difference between like full stiff and full soft. Happy days, like you're not having to get spanners out or reach behind wheel arches no. to do some clicks on the track to change yeah. your, your settings and whatnot. Um, what do you get? I was about to say parts. Is it easy? Is it is it easier to get parts now than it used to be?
3: No, it's got harder since the since we left Euro. Oh right, yeah, well, that's made everything an absolute pain in the butt. That has um yeah we can still get every part um things have got a lot more expensive um and there's not so many people uh suppliers that we use uh don't stock as much stuff as they used to um you know they will get it into order rather than stocking a lot of stuff but no we can still get every single part for a 911 that we need um but generally fairly quickly yeah, because
0: I I hear of things you know, stuff has got more expensive. But like, can you give me an example or a rough guide of like how things have things might have changed over the last I don't know five years in terms of getting stuff and ignoring timings.
3: Have have things got more expensive? Everything's got more expensive in <clears throat> in general in the world in life, hasn't it? But no parts. The I think the biggest cost difference is because we now have to pay import duty on everything um and we also have to pay sort of shipping on stuff because you know there's not container loads of stuff coming over in one go and being stocked here and it can be shipped backwards and forwards as it's needed it's you know so you have to pay an awful lot it is basically some components we buy from america and we've always bought from america which that's always been the same yes you have to pay your import duty and you know where you are with it now you've got that additional cost with everything that comes from europe you know and obviously being german cars a lot of stuff does come from europe yeah and has that made it trickier as well working because presumably
0: you have do you have quite a lot of international customers
3: we do uh so the international side of it is that's a different ball game completely because it's sort of exclusive of VAT and so on so if it's getting shipped straight back out again then you know, there's there's different um, there's different rules and regulations on the VAT and the import stuff. So
0: okay, so they can they can someone own a car in another country, wherever, somewhere, and then it comes in under some sort of special rule, gets worked on, goes back out, doesn't necessarily get taxed and stuff as it comes through.
3: No, so the, you don't you don't have to charge them. You don't have to charge them VAT because the stuff's getting exported straight back out okay um which d- they obviously have to pay their <laughs> import duty when it goes back into the country but you know that's that's their side of the problem <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not mine
0: their problem yeah, yeah. and what, so and what does if if i said right we're saying the base if you went sort of lower end of specs the car might be 150k depending on what day and what car and whatever um what's what's the sort of if you came in and ticked most of the boxes, what does that come out at?
3: So with I mean, with a G series car we're the ones that we do with um to a really good level and a high spec is three hundred thousand, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, we do look at other people that are building uh similar cars and they are you know, they are more money and I think that's just more profit for the people that are doing it. We, you know, we still work on a good volume of cars, yeah. And, and you know, that's why we're sort of successful in what we're doing because we're providing a good value for money, yeah. Which is partly why people come to us as well because they know that they're going to be paying over the top for, you know, I would say somebody's flash showroom, but we've got a flash showroom. <laughs> but, you, you know, we own the building, so it's a different matter, isn't it? It's yeah. Um, but no, sort of. Three. If if somebody came and said, I want to spend $500,000, i would have to try think and... Of to, some, think uh, of some, some ways of doing it. Start looking for some good holidays for myself <laughs> or something. I don't know what I'm going to do with yeah. that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hang
0: on a minute. Hang on a minute. Um, and so you do a lot of G-Series cars. You do do some 964s. Yeah. Um, have you... Do you prefer... What sort of... Would you say the difference on the final product or even the starting point But like... Between a nine six four build and a G series,
3: they're a completely different car. So when you actually come to drive it, um, although you can make them look exactly the same, you yeah. know, you can have them parked side by side and you can make them look identical on the outside. Um, you know, there's always the tunnel giveaway in the middle where the sort of prop shaft goes on a nine six four, but it's. They are a completely different car. You know, that the panels on the outside are the same, but underneath is nothing like each other. So the cars drive completely different. A 964 is a lot heavier. Uh, it's a lot more like a modern car, but you yeah. feel like you're driving a heavier car. Um, and it's sort of an evolution that just everything put on weight with cars, didn't it? Yeah. safety features
0: because <laughs> <laughs> they're what like 200 kilos heavier or something to start with
3: yeah they're, they're more than that i think it's, yeah. it's a ridiculous
0: amount so then yeah you i've noticed like if you drive any of the 964 builds i've built even if they've had lots of carbon fiber on them still feel very similar to the g series or sc builds in terms of like weight because they must be pretty similar or the g series are probably lighter um but then you've got a different you've got you're starting from a different point you've got a bit more tech
3: well the g series cars are lighter and they do end up being lighter even at at the final product because the the actual main chassis and the and the sort of carcass and the body shell underneath is different you know it's a lot heavier on the 964 but you, you find that sort of you know, we run 325 horsepower on a good spec engine and a G-series car in one of our STs. You've got to run sort of 450 horsepower out of a 964 to be the equivalent right. to, yeah, get yeah, yeah, the, yeah. to get that feel-good factor out of it. And that's a much more expensive engine to build, presumably. Um, or is it not too bad it's to get 450, the, there's a, Yeah, to get up to 450, you've got to start throwing a load more money into it, yeah. So you're, do you, do a lot of people go for cages? Not they used to so sort of six, seven, eight, nine years ago we were doing a lot of 2.7 RS replicas and people right. would want just the front seats, rear seat delete and the roll cage in the back. So we used to do that and nearly all of them and a lightweight carpet but now no um, people want it to be more like a road car because I, I sort of like the idea of a cage. From a, it's
0: like a safety point of view like if you have an accident it's less sketchy i'm gonna say less sketchy because it's, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to have an accident in any of those cars you do um, know there's a petrol tank in the
3: front don't you yeah there's all sorts <laughs> of great stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> that,
0: you, that you need to move your legs out on the way of and face and and everything um yeah no i, I, I like the idea of a cage but i kind of like almost hidden
3: it does make you feel safer. So my RS that we've built this anniversary one, we've had, we've got a full um, FIA cage in that, which we've had trimmed in merhead leather. Um, and it's, you know, the scrim foam underneath it, so it is quite padded and it's all done colour-coded to the trim inside, so yeah. it doesn't stand out like, wow, there's a roll cage in there, bright, shiny red one on a white car sort of thing. It sort of disappears into it. It does make you feel safer when you're driving it. You've just been out on it yourself, haven't you? You're know, you strapped in and you feel like you're in a solid, safe car. Yeah, and if you're going on track, you can put the
0: door bars in.
3: Yeah. And you've got a bit more, a bit more. Just just
0: don't hit anything. That's that's the... (laughs) But yeah, they're not. They're all good. Good fun. Um, What do you think... I was going to say how much is picked by... What do you think makes a successful Porsche Resto mod?
3: A happy customer at the end of it—that's yeah. a successful one. Yeah, um, you can do you can you can do a resto mod any way you want that you think you should be doing it. But the most important thing is that the customer has got the smile on their face when they come and pick it up, and then a year later they come back to you and say, "This has changed my life." You know, and we've That's had awesome. cust- we've had customers like that, and it does make it. You know, it makes the lads feel good downstairs, and they come back and they've got they've still got that 18-year-old silly grin on their face that they've just learned how to do a donut sort of thing in a car, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 You know, and they're sort of 60 years old. But they come back with that sort of big grin on their face even a year later and they say, I love it. I love every every bit of the car. You know, that, that's what makes a successful one. That's awesome. Have,
0: have you had any customers taking their cars to like pretty extreme places or done some pretty insane road trips and things like that? Uh,
3: we've got, husband and wife team which have got they've got two cars they've got a targa and uh, a coupe nice um they use the Targa for um a lot of continental trips so they do these uh these european driving days where there's sort of six or seven people in different cars you know there'd be an e-type and an austin healy um 911 always makes it to the end of the other ones will break down (laughs) on the way um so I don't think they've done much in the last couple of years since covid but that you know that that was a big thing and they really enjoyed that they love that car um but no you know, there's a lot of people that just use them for sunny days and fast driving around in the in that the Yorkshire fun. in the Yorkshire Dales you know things like that um but no they do um so we you know we had a customer send a picture of his car at the back of his multi-million pound super yacht in monaco once <laughs> nice. was fair play to you you know yeah because he drove there in it <laughs> nice. um you know so they do get around uh, you know we've obviously got car 100 which we did and we also did a targa which were the first two cars which have gone out to tokyo um you know and we've got they send us pictures of those because they've sold to the customers out there now and you know driving around in and what yeah. looks like Tokyo GIF. That's cool. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it is good. Yeah, it's, it's
0: that must. That's that's got to be the best part. I I keep trying to remind myself that like I like cars, but I love doing stuff with cars. And if you're not doing stuff with cars, that's what happens. Is if a car sits around for ages and you're not using it. I'm like, I don't care about it anymore, almost like but then I, if I could take if I could pop back into or just immediately transport myself somewhere else with the car, I'm having the best time ever. It's almost like not necessarily the car, it's like
3: where you are and yeah. what you're doing. That's what they do in Dubai, isn't it? They fly the car a yeah. helicopter to somewhere else. You don't have to drive it in the horrible bit, they just fly it and land it somewhere to to go and pick up. I uh, I would
0: I'd enjoy that. If I could go anywhere now, some some of the most fun I've had. And apologies if you've heard this chat before on the podcast, but is winter Sweden? I took my nine or nine eleven with a bunch of mates and different silly cars, and that's just—I mean—that's just the most fun.
3: Yeah, I mean, I sold. I remember selling a car when I was younger, and it, we sold it to a guy in uh, Marbella, and. He paid me to drive the car over there, nice. you know, through the Pyrenees, and then he paid for the flight back, and that was a fabulous, yeah, a fabulous drive, you know. So, I, you know, I would like to do that. And one of our nine elevens now, rather than I can't remember what it was—an old S-type Jaguar, one of those horrible yeah. things. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what do you think? Uh, sort of off into the future? Do, do you see? Maybe working on newer Porsches, or how do you see it? Do you see it sort of changing as time goes on, or almost just like
3: solidifying on where we're at? I think we're we're constantly evolving everything that we do with the cars, and they do change with fashion, you know. So. You know like i said we did do a lot of two seven rs replicas and yeah. uh at the moment we're doing lots of sts yeah so
0: a lot less wings nowadays
3: yeah so you don't have duck tails on them anymore yeah. it's all flat boots and you don't have the chin spoilers on the front it's all rounded front bumpers so it is sort of quite fashion orientated but it's um i think i see us as just evolving just evolving better technology you mm-hmm. know um I I would like to say that we can't sort of get any better on the build quality, but every car seems to be better and better and better every time we do it. That's good.
0: And that's and, and it, there must be one of those things where you look at a car, let's say you, you, you'd you built a car five years ago and you look at it and you're like, that's great. And then you look at it now and you go, Well, we've got quite a lot better. Or we we've got better at various things.
3: Well you yeah, we do, but you you also look at the fact and think. So you look at a car we did six or seven years ago, maybe uh, side by side with one that's going out today, and the one that goes out today, you know, is a lot better in quality and technology and stuff that goes into it. But you also look and think, it's actually taken us twice as many hours to build that car, and yeah. it's cost twice as much to do it. So it should be better, really. Yeah, you know, yeah, the one yeah, yeah. the one six or seven years ago might have been. 60 grand you know now they're sort of 300 grand but it's it's taken there's an awful lot more blood sweat and tears that have gone in do you see many coming back through you guys for sale most of them do come back through us um occasionally they'll get sold out by other dealers um we always get the phone calls to say i'm looking at a car at this dealer here you know can you tell us a bit about it um we'll end up selling a new build. <laughs> I do. um but we've we've got a good we've got a good record the, we started sort of of the of the last 10 years which we've been sort of doing the cars in this building here there's not a, there's not a car that's resold for less money than the build cost so every car's made money that we've sold that's great and that's that's a good selling point. Yeah. Um you know we've The worst that's happened is somebody's got their money back uh, if they've sold it through somebody else. But we always make a profit on the cars for people. So people, they tend to come back to us. And I always do say, if you ever want to sell it, I'll sell it for you. Yeah, Um, They're never here for long. That takes a lot of friction out
0: of the buying process. Because that's, I think, that's definitely a worry for me if I'm getting a bespoke product. Is like, does anyone want this after, if I had sell it at some point? and it sounds like absolutely
3: yeah i mean it is a good track record 10 years worth of that you know because people do worry and think oh you know with a with a modern car you can go and buy a new 911 and you lose 30 grand out of it in the first year or so um so people do worry about losing money and it to, to a lot of people this is an unknown you know but we've got that track record to say look every single car that we've built that's been resold has sold for a minimum of the build price um you know so people they feel a sense of security straight away yeah and we've also got that sort of you know we've built 10 years 10 ca- 10 years ago 12 years ago if you want to have a look at those cars you can see we'll see that they're in good quality yeah you know they haven't fallen apart and the customers have still got <laughs> yeah. them Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I guess,
0: as we were talking about before, like we all change. So the car that was perfect for you 10 years ago, it, let's just assume you've not got 100 cars. Um, you might be in a different headspace, a different life space, a different you might want a wing or not wing. Do you get cars coming back for to be sort of tweaked and adjusted and have bits done and things like that?
3: We do the ones some of some of the customers that have still got their cars from sort of six or seven years ago, uh, you know. So we've 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 had them back where we've fitted tractive suspension on them because we've upgraded from that. Uh, we've fitted big brakes on, or we've redone the engine out to three point four because you know we used to stick. In the early days, we would just stick to a sort of stock three point two engine on the original injection system and get the yeah. most out of it with an exhaust or something. Um, but no, people do upgrade them. Um, I, I think it's because they can also see the value in what they're upgrading. You know, they it, they initially had a car which might have cost them 60 grand or 70 grand and they can see a new one at uh, that sort of spec with some good stuff on it is selling at 200,000. Yeah, They don't mind spending 20 or 30 on it because they know they're not going backwards with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things I would love, some sort of
0: electronic management system in my car to just yeah. every time that, that's like it, it doesn't really matter but it would be nice um but then th- this is where it's an endless pit because yeah <laughs> especially if i come around and meet like yourself and other people like, oh interesting let's see what extra stuff you've got going on there um right so i normally sort of start tying these up with five questions do you
3: have a most memorable driving trip or journey most memorable driving chip or journey would be when i was uh i think i was about 19 years old and we were doing the uh 24-hour wheel hire race at snetterton with eurotech in the when mike jordan was running the bmw m3 e30 Bye. car and my most memorable chip was being awake for the qualifying, being awake for the whole of the 24 hours, um, <laughs> absolutely shattered with sort of no sleep, or you're sort of trying to sleep and then you're woken yeah. up, there's coming back in for something. So you, you basically have no sleep for, I'd probably say a good 48 hours. And then driving back uh, on whatever road it is, back from Snetterton back to Coventry at the time in my 2.8 injection Capri and then just wondering how the hell I got home because I can't remember any of the journey. <laughs> that was probably, it, but it sticks in your it mind. It sticks in. It's probably the worst car I've had, but it's, the, it's that journey that you just think, uh, that I was probably doing a ridiculous speed in a straight yeah. line and I can't remember going around any corners or anything. It's amazing how your brain does that. It's like,
0: it just goes, what's important? Like, what's the stuff I don't need to remember? I don't want to use any extra energy yeah, like let's just let's just get there. Maybe, hopefully, um, I I look at the like mechanics staying up for twenty four hours in a twenty four hour race, which seems to happen like quite a lot. And like as a driver, I would not do that if I could help it, because we know how much our brains like fall off. But like when something happens three hours before the end of the race, it still everyone still seems to just have something reserved in them. To be able to just well, switch it on and off, you go.
3: It's the adrenaline, isn't it, that keeps you going? But it's, um, yeah, I think when you get to the end of it, because in mind it is a twenty-four hour race that you're there, but you're actually there in the morning. The race starts at three o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. but you're there in the Come morning on, nice. to set everything <laughs> up. So it's, you know, it's probably thirty odd hours that you're awake and in the pit garage, um, and you do just want to go home. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably a two-hour drive home from there for. at the time but
0: as a as a photographer and even as a a driver I've done some 24 hour stuff I'd love it if they started at like 10am because you wake up you do the race and then you you only have to wait till 10am the next day it's like 3pm you've had a full day pretty much before it starts and then you've just obviously got another 24 hours.
3: Yeah. And then and then somebody's expecting you to pack it all away at the end of yeah, it as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And load the car off. And
0: yeah, because you're getting booted out of the garage. You've got to go. Um, if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, say a sports car, what would it be?
3: Uh, well, I'd have to say one of my 911s, wouldn't I, I think. But... Um, I think if it's for the rest of my life, I'd be getting a little bit older, so I probably wouldn't be able to get in and out of it so easy. Um, I think it would be a, any older car. It would be one of our cars. I think it would be like an, yeah. S- an ST. It would be like the, the demonstrator car that I've just built and sold. Yeah. I think it would be that one. Nice. But I am very biased. Well, that's, <laughs> that's that's fair enough. Yeah,
0: I think you're perfectly entitled. and And it is, like, this is what you want out of a car like this whole thing is like you isn't it
3: yeah so you know that car down there is like okay i built it all myself you know joe's done a lot of work downstairs for me and sort of put most of it together or if not all of it together um yeah no, no, it's that's exactly the car that i want that i've built so it's gonna to have to be that one i can't say anything else can <laughs> yeah, yeah, i yeah otherwise i wouldn't have built it i feel like that one <clears throat> from a competitor down the road you've got a problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'd love to do that because i could just take it back with everything that's wrong all the time so fix that <laughs> <and fix this. laughs> yeah.
0: yeah get it out of my sight what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment them, uh,
3: what of all makes? Yeah, any uh, yeah anything out there. Um, I think at the moment, undervalued cars are probably old British cars. Yeah, like MGAs and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think they're you know German and Italian stuffs probably way over what it should be worth. Um, but you look at some of the some of those old MGAs, I think. You see them at 20 grand. There should be an awful lot more than that, but they're not. They're they're quite stylish cars, but it's crap British (laughs) workmanship. But, you know, they're still quite, I think they're just a bit undervalued. I just don't think it's caught up. I think that's a good answer. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot
0: of old British cars that are not worth very much that you go, that's still pretty cool. And it was like, it's sort of competitors are now all worth a lot, lot, lot more.
3: Yeah, I I can't sit here and say 911s are undervalued because they're not. They're quite expensive, aren't they? And Ferraris aren't undervalued. They never have been. You know, they have just. Porsches have just sort of caught up with him over the last five years. Yeah. What is the most interesting
0: car to you at the moment? The most
3: interesting car to me at the moment. I imagine it's an EV, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I I, I think everybody that has an EV car is going to burning hell <laughs> <laughs> we were
0: <laughs> we, we talked actually earlier about and I think this is quite a good story um we were talking about lithium batteries you've got a story about a lithium battery you put in a car
3: yeah so uh, we thought we'd evolve with the world and the uh, and the green piece lot and we, so we started putting these lightweight lithium batteries in into uh, just as the normal battery for starting the yeah. car and running it. And, that, you know, the theory is good and the technology is good and they are very light, um, but it's there's a few instructions that you sort of have to go along with and it's to do with charging them and jump-starting them. So yeah. you can't jump-start them and you can't put a normal battery charger on it. You've got to use their little phone charger that goes with it. <laughs> uh, so we put one on it was one of my demonstrator cars it was my orange rsr at the time and it was it was great i thought yeah that's cool you know that's our, our modern bit of technology that's yeah. our, that's our saved a bit of weight yeah that's our ev part that we're going to do to it and that's the end of it but it went to um it went off to a body shop to have a uh, scratch done i think it was like a, a small scratch sorted out and the battery had gone flat and then they jumped it with a jump pack which you know it's not their fault nobody knows any different and then i went to go and pick the car up and they jumped it again before i got there and the car was running i thought oh that's fair enough and then sort of probably four miles down the road the smell started getting worse the car was running fine but the smell was getting worse and worse and i thought it's just paint fumes from the body shop the you know the good old two-pack yeah. paint, two-pack paint coming through from the old days good for your lungs <laughs> And then all of a sudden I was just like blasted with a smoke bomb coming in through the car, thick white smoke, couldn't breathe, couldn't open my eyes. I only just managed to find the door handle and sort of jump out of the car. And the battery had caught fire. Um, and it it started melting and sort of – it was properly on fire, but because it was – I was sat in the time in my 250,000-pound car yeah. thinking, I don't want this going up. We have only just finished it. <laughs> I managed to get the bonnet open and sort of, the, with a stick at the side of the road, sort of yank the wires off and pull it out because the battery had turned sort of jelly. The battery was still burning three days later, you know, and that's what just you, what, of, did you, what did you, you obviously didn't put the battery back in the car. No, so I called Joe. and said, Joe, get over here quick. Bring a fire extinguisher. Bearing in mind he was like 20 minutes away, you know, it would have gone yeah. up good and proper. So I, I took the battery out and I put it to the sort of side of the road. It's on fire, on fire, battery on fire with a thick white smoke coming out of it. You know, it looked like a monstrous bonfire on bonfire nights, just coming out of this small car battery. It was horrendous. Um, and then it just kept burning. And by the time we got there in the van, it was just still burning. Uh, so we made, we put it out with a fire extinguisher. I thought, that's okay i'm going to take this back in the van uh so he bought a, a spare battery and we put another battery in the car. luckily we didn't do any damage to the car that's quite lucky yeah it was just because the battery sort of turned into a blob <laughs> of plastic and managed to rip it out without undoing it so well we'll take it back and we we'll sort of send it back to the to the battery manufacturers and just sort of have it a whinge and a, a whinge and a moan about it um so we put it out with the fire extinguisher. By the time we got back here again, it had self-ignited again. In the back of the van? Yeah. <laughs> so we put it down the side and around the back of the building and, it, and left it there and thought, well, it's going to go out. It was still smoking three days later. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, that sort of brings home the danger of it.
0: Yeah. Because I think loads of new cars come with lightweight, not loads, but some come with light, lightweight lithium ion batteries as non-EVs but sports cars and I don't feel like anyone really tells you specifically like look me in the eyes do not jump this with a normal set of jump cables or like do not plug in a normal battery charger luckily like lots of the new ones are, are sort of intelligent and they can they know if it's a lithium one and it won't they won't, they won't junk it but yeah setting a, a lithium ion battery on fire that's not well, a good it was, situation.
3: That was that was probably the one of the scariest things that happened to me. That was I can imagine, you know. like horrific. Yeah, you know, it was just so we don't fit those anymore. Fair enough. We're back onto the old lead batteries again. <laughs> Safe. They're quite a lot lighter, aren't they? They're like five kilos or something. It was loads, loads lighter. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: Interesting one. Right, final question. Have we have talked briefly about this, but.
3: Five-car garage, unlimited value. Go. Five-car garage, unlimited value would be uh, Escort Cosworth for 600 horsepower. Nice. One of my Sport cars. Yeah. Audi Quattro, short wheelbase, UR Quattro, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the 991 GT3 RS, whether nice. I'd actually use it or not, but I'd like to look at it. Yeah uh and oh, one, word, more. one more one more would it lost me there you can one, have it anything have a, i want some it classic would, some race car some it would be hypercar. a car a daily driver do you have a daily driver no no i don't want a daily driver no, I've got, i'll have a bus passport <laughs> it would be a mark one escort rs 1600 nice you know the twin cam ones so you're, 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 I can sense a theme. They're just all nice cars to look at. Yeah. You know? I don't, and out of all of those, I think the GT3 RS would probably just never get used. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, there we go. Thanks very much for
2: coming on the podcast. It's fine. Good to meet you. Yeah, cheers. Planning for your next trip?